Well, I forgot to say this during announcements, so I'm going to give you permission, if needed, um, we will be taking communion today. So if you didn't happen to grab a communion uh, elements out in the foyer, we invite you to do so, and you can go get one, and uh, if nothing else, stretch your legs. Um, but I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 14, as we continue with the story of David and um, his family and all the different parts that are involved. Uh, I will admit this story in what I began with, and I thought I was just going to pick up a few highlights, and God has checked me and continues to work on me, and this story gets harder and harder because we're dealing with the messed up side of David at this point and some of the things that are going on in this story. Um, if you would have written this story for TV, it'd be a massive hit because it's got all the drama and elements of surprise and vengeance and all these different things that people love. And here it is in Scripture. And as I said last week, you know, one of the incredible things about Scripture is it doesn't hold back the stuff that goes on. It, it tells the whole story. Because God is a redeeming God even in the midst of a messed up, broken up story. Of, of, that is we... Uh, in our element or part of it. And so we pick up, you know, remember in chapter 12, David is brought to, by Nathan, comes and tells him a story and gives him an understanding, okay, so you've confessed now, but there is still going to be some punishment. You will not die, but because of this, these things will happen. <clears throat> and we understand that God does not force these things in of controlling people because people have a free choice that all of David's sons have a choice in how they live into the story and into God's relationship with them and Absalom has now murdered his brother and has run he's fleed to the city and country of his his mother and, and grandfather, who is king. And he, David now has two dead sons, and one that is now in living in this is Absalom in Geshur for three years. Nothing's really said much about why it has to, he has to sit there um, and why David didn't deal with it. But at the same time, we, we wonder, okay, well, maybe he didn't want to deal with it, but it, it may be also that in dealing with it, he would have to confront his own past. So David kind of lets, in his grief for Amnon, lets Absalom sit. And it, 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 you see this grieving even though what David knew, what Amnon had done, was absolutely wrong. And that he hadn't dealt with it. So Absalom does in his own way. And we see this grieving for Amnon, and yet at, at some point, David's heart changes in some ways, and he starts to long, it says, for Absalom. His son that is gone. 
He starts to grieve that relationship. And Joab the general knows this. He sees it in David. And so he comes and arranges this, it says a wise woman, to come to and enter into the story. You know, not anybody can just walk into the king, but Joab arranges for this woman to come into to meet David. And she begins to tell a story as she enters in. Does this sound familiar? Because it sounds very familiar to me of what Nathan did. And she comes in and starts telling this story that Joab had, had concocted and told her to tell. And, and so she starts telling this story and it, it gets David wrapped up in it. I mean, he's hearing the various elements. It's, it's not a true story, but it has all the, the gripping of one. And so David immediately responds in kind. And he, he, he gives her a judgment on behalf of the widow. And instantly, when he declares in this story that the son may return, that he will not be held in full account, and that all these different things, in making this this royal decree on the woman's behalf, at the same time, she then springs to action and confronts David. And says, well, if my son in this story can come back, then why haven't you done so for your own? Why is it that you can come in and declare this, and yet you will not live this way with your own son? And so there's a confrontation. He, he realizes and he says, wait a minute, you put Ab- did Joab put you up to this? And she says, it's true. And so he sends Joab to get Absalom. And he says, but I, when you bring him back to Jerusalem, I don't want to see him. I don't want him near me. He has to live in his own house. Away from here. So Absalom is still, while not in an external exile, outside the city and outside his own country, he is still in exile from his own family. And he's returned to Jerusalem through the back door. And he sits there for two years. And he grows frustrated at not being able to talk to his father. Here he is. He is now the de facto back up for the throne. He is the next in line to be king. And he's not allowed in the palace. He's not allowed to talk to his king and his father. And so he grows frustrated and he, well, Joab was the one that got me here, so I'll go to Joab. And he sends messengers to Joab. Hey, I need to talk to you. And back and forth, back at, you know, and Joab never responds. Joab never returns the message and comes to meet him. Ignores him. And so Joab decides, 
well, he's not meeting him, okay. So, so Absalom goes, well, your field's next to mine, so I'll get your attention. And he takes and lights Joab's crops on fire. Well, needless to say, that got Joab's attention. Joab comes to him. I can imagine, um, I, you know, what you, if you were a farmer, what that would do for you. You might get a little upset that someone lit your, your crops on fire. And Joab comes to him and says, why would you do this? And he says, well, you wouldn't come to me. And he says, you know what? Being in Jerusalem in this way is no better than having been exiled in Geshur. I need to talk to my father. And eventually, Joab relents. And he goes to David and shares this message from Absalom. And David says, okay, send him my way. Absalom comes home and comes to meet David and comes through the door and falls to the floor and bowing to David. And David, it says, kisses his son. At this point, it's been at least five years since he's even talked to his son. And with that kiss, David has essentially, at least politically, pardoned Absalom. But by no means is their relationship restored at this point. Well, that's just chapter 14. The condensed version. Chapters 15 through 19 go into this long story in unusual detail about what Absalom does in rebellion to his father. And what we see throughout it is God's declaration through Nathan coming to full fruition. That all these different things, because of David's own sin, that, that play into the part, it's, it, we see killing and sexual immorality and deception all within David's kingdom. And most importantly, not just David's kingdom, but his family. And so while, what we, and as we enter into chapter 15, we see Absalom beginning to do some things. He's finally able to be in the palace. His, his, he, he's, he's been accepted back into the royal family of sorts. And he starts putting things into play. He's, he's in Jerusalem. And he starts to execute his plan. And he begins to steal the people's hearts. No doubt he'd been organizing throughout this. and He'd been winning some loyalties and making some promises and, and generally working toward his goal that he wanted to be in the throne surface it may seem well why in the world would they look to you know as far as the people why would they look to Absalom when they've got David he's the king he's been a you know a king that has all these victories and everybody had seen the promise of what he had been able to bring to the to his country 
But as we all know, people are fickle. And they start to see these things because Absalom is it's stated very clearly. He looks the part. He's a good looking guy. He's got all this hair. That's their reasoning. He's got hair. And he would cut it about once a year and it would weigh all the, He's got hair. He starts living into that. And they start living into it because he's looking the part. In fact, at this point, he... he he, he looks the part because he gathers an entourage with car- chariots and horses and people. says 50 people running in front of him as he enters into the city. And he starts looking the part of the king. And they start giving him his heart, their hearts. And then secondly, he starts seizing on the apparent current dysfunction of the court system. Because this was a major complaint of the people. And he knew it. You see, people would come with, with needing things to be judged. And so they would come to the, to the gates of the city. And what was supposed to happen was David would have somebody appointed there on his behalf to, to sit and issue, issue judgments for the kingdom. For these people so matters could be dealt with. But David has not done this. And so what we find is the people have become frustrated. They would travel all the way to Jerusalem, get there, and there's nobody there. And they would go, have to go home frustrated. So, so Absalom starts showing up at the city gates. And he starts telling him, well, if I was king, there'd be someone here to hear you. If I was king, you wouldn't be leaving disappointed. Because, you know, all these things would be solved and your welfare and your justice would be met if I was king. So he makes, goes out of his way to seem as though he was just this loving and caring person that had the best interest for the people. Sounds like a politician, doesn't it? And so he was there to solve their problems and give them what they wanted in a way that the current king could not or would not do. And he does this for four years. People are posting on Facebook, oh, look what David... You know, David didn't do this, and Absalom said this, and there's videos, and there's memes, and there's all this stuff. And so Absalom makes a decision to go to Hebron. And so he goes and asks David for permission. And David says, sure. The thing is, this place is significant. Hebron is the city where David became king. It's the capital city of the southern kingdom. It's where Absalom was born. It's, it's where it, it has this huge significance. And it was also sufficiently far away from Jerusalem and also provided fortified facilities in case things went wrong. 
So in verse 11, what we see is that he used this excuse of going to David and says, you know what, I committed a vow when I was exiled in Geshur. Please send me so I can worship in Hebron. And David says, sure. But he uses this occasion to disperse spies throughout the land. That at a certain point, he would prompt them and everybody was to yell, Absalom is king of Israel. Well, some of David's men in Hebron hear what's going on. And they send messages to David. And basically says, Absalom's stolen the hearts of your people. And so David hears this news and he doesn't take a stand. I mean, in other, other places, he was quick to take on enemies. He was, he was quick to make decisions to, to secure his country. But suddenly, David isn't so sure. Because David's enemy now is his son. David doesn't know if he's in the position where Saul was when David was anointed king at this point. And before he had claimed the throne, or if at this point, if Absalom really is an enemy, he's not so sure. So David takes his people, those closest to him, and he decides in protection of them, we're all going to leave. And he gathers his people, and, and among them are 600 Philistines that have become loyal to David. And he takes them and his mighty men and these people, and they start to leave the city and enter into the wilderness, down the Kidron Valley and up over the Mount of Olives. And if you know Scripture well, it's the reverse of what Jesus does on the entry into Jerusalem before He's crucified. And so David starts to, see, to leave. And as he leaves, he, he's grabbing all of his wives, but he leaves ten of his concubines there in the palace to watch over it. And as he leaves, he, encounter, he, he sees that, that Zadok and Abiathar, who are priests, are carrying the ark with him. And they're carrying the ark, and they, he says, no, you need to go back. You need to take the ark back into the city. And he, he says basically that if God wants me to be king, He will bring me back. That God's presence will, will lead the way. Because at this point, David's prayer isn't one of own, his own preference. It's, it's that the will of God would take place. And although David doesn't fight, he does take some initiative. He, he is a political figure, if nothing else. And so not only has he sent these priests in, Hushai, who's been one of his loyal servants, uh, steps up and, and David's, he's saying, I'm going with you. And David says, no, I need you to go back and serve this new king. Serve my son. But... And there's always a but. I want you to confuse him. I want you to frustrate the, 
the advice because what David had done is he had heard that uh, one of his wise counselors, Apathal, was now serving Absalom. And he says, I want you to frustrate his advice. And so through this walk of shame, David will encounter people upon people. Some that want to serve him and some want to provide for him and his people and others that want to curse and throw rocks. He'll get the mix. And what he, he learns in, this, in the midst of all of this is, is even from our failures and weaknesses, they can, we can learn lessons. That we receive the good and the bad. And, and we look at how God is beyond all of that and we learn that God is above all. And so David has once again learned to trust God even in the midst of bad circumstances. So meanwhile, Absalom has moved from Hebron into Jerusalem. It's a victory party. He's now king. And it seems that he's willing to trust anyone that is willing to submit to him. So he's in the palace. David's on the run. And he asks Athaphal, David's advisor, and remember he's also Bathsheba's grandfather, what to do. And Athaphal says, well, David left his concubines. If you're really going to be king, if you want to be king amongst the people, you need to go sleep with them in a way that everybody will know that you are king. So they set up a tent out on the, on the palace veranda, where everybody knows what he is doing. But in this way, what we need to understand is this is an extremely political move on Athabal's part. Because he is causing a division that, that is almost completely irreversible. He, he knows that this will cause a division between Absalom and, and David. And he wants to make sure that that Absalom and David can't and will not reunite again because they would then turn on him. And so after Absalom commits this offense, Athaphal knows that the decision and this decisive moment is upon them. It's now time to act. David's weak. Absalom is king. He's declared it amongst all of, the, uh, of Jerusalem. And so he comes to him and he says, we need to take 12,000 soldiers and act fast and go after David and kill him and his followers. Sounds like a good plan. I mean, in all reality, as we look upon it, there's little doubt that this plan would have worked and Absalom would have been securely made king. But Absalom looks to Hushai, David's former servant and current servant. And he asks him, well, what do you think? And he says, well, 
you know, David's men, they're battle-tested. He's not weak. He's still strong. And if you take 12,000 against their, you know, X amount, however many they had, you know, you'll be disgraced because you'll lose in front of everybody. And so what I would suggest, King, is, you know, you gather all of Israel to take on David. And it says that he thought about it and he talked to his other wise guys. And they decide, yeah, we'll do this. And Athaphal says he knows he's been beat and he goes and commits suicide at this point. But you see, Hushai knew that if, if they would have attacked right then, that David would lose. But this plan of gathering all the people it's, it's an opportunity for David to get away, to get rested, to get supplied, to, to be able to make a stand. And he sends word through the priests, and they send word through their sons to David of what the plan is. So David gets off in the rocky areas for guerrilla warfare that he's done since Saul was chasing him. And he's ready. And ultimately... Absalom loses. It says 20,000 die. And Absalom in defeat is, is wandering through on his donkey. Wandering through this area. And he, sees, he encounters some of David's men. And he freaks out and, and turns off and starts to run on this donkey and it says that he got his hair caught in a tree. And the donkey kept going, and he hung there by the tree from his hair. And David had already given in, in instructions to his generals. He says, be kind and gentle on my son Absalom. Well, here he, he sits hanging by this luscious hair that was a point of pride. And David's men go to Joab and says, what do you want to do? And Joab comes up and throws some spears and kills Absalom. And word eventually gets back. There's, there's a lot of discussion. But word gets back to David. And David is heartbroken. Because David realizes and has learned that vengeance will never satisfy that only love can restore and make a way for the banished to be reunited and so David mourns he mourns heavily and there's a whole discussion of Joab why how dare you disrespect your army but David's in mourning and eventually he has to go it's it's weird you would think that David would just automatically be restored as king but he has to kind of do his political thing to be restored both the north the north says well he was a good king enough i guess so yeah he'll be king in the south he has to kind of do some finagling to be restored now as i look at this there are just two points that i really think we need to look at real quick one comes from Absalom and one comes from David. 
when we encounter this story, before this and into this especially, we, what we see with Absalom is he is a son who is bitter. He can't get beyond the bitterness in his own heart that he's been living with and grieving in the midst of. He's angry and he cannot let go. Bitterness will never get him where he wants to go though. He was going to be king if he'd have been true to the process. At least in man's eyes. But bitterness is never going to get him because if, when we allow bitterness to grow in our, whole, in our heart, it's destructive, it's sharp, it cuts. And if we nurture bitterness and we nurture unforgiveness, all it does is hurt us. It hurts us physically, it hurts us emotionally, and it hurts us relationally as well as spiritually. Hebrews 12.15 tells us that if we nurture bitterness and unforgiveness in our souls, it will harm those even around us in our relationships with them. Then we look at David. We can't forget that David has been forgiven by God. But he's still dealing with the consequences. And in the midst of the consequences of his actions, I I see something more that's going on here. And I think this is a huge lesson for us. As we watch him and his relationship with his children continue to develop through these stories, while he's forgiven by God, he's still living into the shame of his past. He hasn't let let go. He's still bound up in letting the shame direct his future. He's he's relearning by the end of this story the value of trusting God. But there's this sense that even in the midst of his current situation, even in the midst of understanding that, that he's been forgiven by God, that he's given it all to God, that he... It, isn't letting go to the point that he lives into the freedom that God has given him. God has set him in a place where he should be leading with his life and leading uh, the people of Israel. But David can't let go of his own shame. He's, He's bound in what was instead of living into what is and can be. You see, David needs to learn from this wise woman of Tekoa. In chapter 14, verse 14, she declares, Like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, He devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from Him. If we as Christians... If we as believers in the hope that Christ gives live our lives continued to be bound in the shame of our past, we will never be able to fully live into the freedom that Christ has given us. We will never be able to experience all that God has given us and continues to give us for our future. 
We will never live well. We will never lead well because we can never get beyond or allow ourselves to live into what God has already declared. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is what? Gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we in Him might become the righteousness of God. You see, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin, God has made a way for us to be restored in our relationship with Him. That we no longer have to live in the shame of our past. That we no longer have to live into the rebellion and, and sin of our lives. Instead, if we would acknowledge our sin, if we would believe in what Christ has attained for us, confess our guilt, repent of our ways, and receive that gift of restoration, we should be living differently. We are ambassadors of Christ. And we can live then into the freedom that has been gifted us. We celebrate communion today, understanding that God has given us a way to be fully restored that we celebrate in Him what we could not do ourselves. That God has given us a way not to live into the shame of our past, but into the freedom that He has attained for us. That we might one day be reunited with Him in celebration. And so if you're new with us, this cup has two elements. It has the wafer and the juice. It's separated by a little piece of tin and, and some cellophane. We invite you to grab those as we take the Lord's communion together.